I'm Chief Cheryl Victorian. This is Waco PD on the beat. Whether it's crime or just getting to know the Waco Police Department, we're here to talk about things that matter most to you. Hello, Waco, and welcome to Waco PD on the Beat. I'm Sierra Shipley, the Public Information Officer for the Waco Police Department. And I'm Janae Draper with the Neighborhood Engagement Team. Yes, and we have Stacey Steger here and Elizabeth Timmons with the Behavioral Health Network. Um, before we get into this uh, you know, specific topic, this is going to be a pretty heavy episode, I'm sure, for a lot of people listening to this. So we just want to give a warning before you guys continue. We will be talking about suicide prevention and awareness. Uh, this is something that affects everyone, uh, whether it's you directly or someone you know, uh, this is just something that touches everyone in, in a very hard way. So we're here to talk about that. And Stacy and Elizabeth, I'll let them introduce themselves, but they both work at the Behavioral Health Network. And uh, without further ado... Well, my name is Stacy Steger, and again, thank you for having us here, uh, Sierra and JD. Um, I'm a social worker for Heart of Texas Behavioral Health Network. I've been there nine and a half years, and I currently work in crisis services. So, I'm program manager over outpatient crisis services at our agency. Oh, nice! Welcome. Hi, and ditto. Thank you for having us here today. I'm Elizabeth Timmons. I am also a social worker. I'm the director of clinical services for the adult mental health um, at the Behavioral Health Network and also the suicide prevention coordinator. Okay, wonderful. Well, yeah, again, thank you guys both for for joining us here on this on this podcast. Like we like we said before, let's start out because we don't, you know, we hear all the time about how you can get help or the phone numbers to call. And I do want to talk about that. Um, and I want you guys just to start this episode off right off the bat about those main phone numbers or basic resources that people can go to if they need that. Absolutely. So we do have a mobile crisis outreach team through our agency that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, we have a crisis hotline number um, for anybody experiencing a mental health crisis, needing assistance. That number is one 866 752 Three four five one, and again, it's twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Um, also, a very common question that we're asked is, does the police officer need to call that, or a parent, or a relative? Um, anybody in the community can call that. Whether that's a police officer, a deputy, somebody at a hospital, somebody from community, um, you can call if you yourself need assistance. If somebody in your family needs assistance, might be a neighbor. So we get. We get calls from the community on a daily basis. Is that a phone number that only services McLennan County or those surrounding counties as well? Great question. Yes. Heart of Texas Behavioral Health Network serves six counties, and so that number is for all six counties. Our mobile crisis outreach team does serve all six counties, and, um, and so, like I said, if somebody calls it in, then we can talk over the phone or make a home visit to that location for that individual that's experiencing crisis. Okay. And I mean, I'm, we're sure we're probably all aware, but just to kind of make sure, so crisis, this is someone that's like, you know, at the time maybe experiencing suicidal thoughts, ideations, something like that, or you feel that your family member is, or just maybe just needing to reach out saying, hey, I'm not understanding, like it, it's covers that whole spectrum, correct, with the mobile crisis or? Absolutely. Okay. All of it, as well as any other mental health concerns, because as we know, especially going through the pandemic and everything, um, people may be experiencing triggers 
due to post-traumatic stress disorder, there might be psychosis, there might be mania. So, so we're going to try to serve anybody and everybody who's in need and in crisis. And it looks different for everyone. Absolutely. Right. And I hope that uh, by now everybody's aware, too, of the new 988 number for, um, for the suicide crisis hotline. Um, that rolled out full force in January. And so um, if we could make note of that, um, that's also a place if you're not comfortable having somebody come out to your home or something like that, then this is also a number that you can call and talk with somebody about your suicidal thoughts and ideation. Um, both of those lines um, are not an immediate answer line, and so there may be a bit of a wait. And so what I would say that if somebody is um, actively suicidal, that they call 911. Okay. 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 Good to know. That's very, yeah, very good to know. I, I wasn't even familiar with that, so I think that's great information. Yes. And I work for the police department. I just probably just had not read that up yet, but no, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So what are what, what are your positions at BHN? Um, how long have you guys, how, how long have you been there? How long have you been working in this field? And, and what's kind of like your daily, day-to-day work? <laughs> a, big, a big question, huh? I know. So I've been with the Behavioral Health Network for a little over nine and a half years now, um, and it's actually around my third career at this point in time. Um, I've been practicing in the Waco community for um, over 40 years, and I've worked for Children Protective Services and was in private practice as a therapist. Um, and now I oversee a um, a mental health clinic that does primarily <coughs> therapy in that clinic. We also have an older adult unit there. Um, and so anybody who needs counseling can come to our clinic, and uh, we work on a sliding scale. And so it's really great that we're, all, we're able to offer that uh, service in the community. Um, and then uh, just by chance, I was appointed to be the suicide prevention coordinator because people were leaving, and it was like I was on the team. And then I became... Um, that person, and I wasn't sure at first if that was something I was really interested in doing wholeheartedly, but I've really become very passionate about it, um, as you can imagine. And uh, so that is something we have a team that is working right now to implement uh, strategies to help treat people um, who are experiencing suicidal ideation, then also to bring awareness and kind of normalize that conversation. So, absolutely. I've also been with the agency about nine and a half years. Um, uh, also, I started out in homeless services, so our PATH program, and doing outreach in the community for individuals experiencing homelessness. And then about three years ago, came over into crisis services, which was a very natural progression, you know, because when you're in community all the time, you're witnessing people that are in, in crisis. In crisis yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that seemed like a pretty natural, you know, step. And so as far as um, what we do on a daily basis, I work with the mobile crisis outreach team, again, that they're going out in the community as well. And also our respite facility, um, it is a 16-bed facility for individuals who are not in imminent crisis but may need a break from their current situation, i.e. a break, a rest. And so during that time, it's they can stay there up to seven days, and it provides them an environment where they can have their own room, three meals a day, groups, and just a place to kind of regroup 
and strategize for their next steps. Because a lot of us, and we see this in crisis services, um, we're going in a circle, you know, and we're kind of doing the same thing over and over. And so we sometimes need that stop just to kind of get reorganized and figure out our game plan moving forward. So I work with that program as well as we do have contract beds through the state. So we work with um, local psychiatric hospitals for individuals who may be in crisis but are uninsured. And so a lot of people um, may shy away from the idea into going into psychiatric hospitalization because of the bill. You know, we hear that a lot from parents or just individuals that although they need the help, they're very concerned about that bill at the end. And so we work with our um, community providers to ensure that they get the help that they need and we can get them the hospitalization um, as as they need it. Right. Wow, that's really interesting just to hear the money aspect of it. Is yes. that something that you guys feel is a deterrent for a lot of people when it comes to finding any, any type of help in a crisis situation? I, you know, it's... For some it is, and for some it isn't. You know, it's just, it's dependent on the, it's, with crisis services, I can say that each each individual is so unique mm-hmm. in what their crisis is. Some people, um, it's one of the first things they think about, because if they're already in a state of financial um, worry, and even if they're in crisis, they're already in that situation, they don't want to further that problem, you know, that they're dealing with. And so that's on the forefront of their minds. Others, in that immediate crisis, they need relief, you know, and so that may not be something that's on their mind. But that's where I feel we come in to serve in that capacity so that whether it's something they're thinking about now or not until they get the bill, we want to help, again, just mitigate and, and ease whatever we can in that current crisis situation. Awesome. And I think Stacy would agree too. We want to be sure that people don't have a notion that this only happens to people who can't afford things as well. Like mental health crisis happened to everybody, right? And so it doesn't have a socioeconomic, um, you know, barrier or, or a, a requirement, uh, so to speak. So, um, you know, just being really careful that that people understand that it's uh, that mental health crisis can happen to anybody. Absolutely, yeah, so. no, no boundaries on that age. Right. Race, right. religion, exactly. socioeconomic class. I mean, it affects everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, you know, talking about suicide, it, it feels like it can be a really uncomfortable topic for a lot of people. Why is it so important for us to sit down and just open this door up um, and, and to continue to talk about it? I feel like, you know, thankfully, it, it's become more of a kind of a, a prevalent topic in, in our society today. But why is it important to, to continue to advocate for this? So um, I think the more we talk about suicide, the more we can open the door for people who are experiencing suicidal ideation um, to be able to talk about it themselves, right? So you don't want people silently suffering and, um, and not feeling comfortable being able to talk about what their thoughts are. Because if, if you were with somebody and they said, you know, I'm feeling suicidal, that can be really scary for um, the person saying that, but also for the person hearing that. Um, and so we have a real goal to be able to talk about suicide like we do peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it just needs to be that common of a, a conversation in the sense of if somebody is experiencing that, then they should feel free to be able to talk about that and not right. have people, you know, jump up and run screaming from the room because I don't know what to do kind of thing. Um, and, and I think the more we talk about it, then the more awareness there is and the less fearful people are because it really is about, you know, an unknown and what's going to happen. And, oh, my goodness, I don't know what to do. Uh, kind of thing. And so if you can help alleviate that, um, you know, initial, um, it's okay. I don't think that you need, you're crazy or you need to be hospitalized. Um, it's not our going to be our first response. Then I think it's helpful for people. Absolutely. Do you guys feel the services that you, that you give to the community are, do they, do they fluctuate as far as how often they're needed? Do you feel like there's been an increase or a decrease in, in the recent months or the last year? I think certainly we are hearing, we've heard more about it in the last couple of months, and um, and I think it kind of ebbs and flows, and I don't know that there's actually a reason for that. Um, just say, you know, it, it just seems to happen that way. Um, and so, um, but you know, anytime that you hear about a suicide, it's really difficult. Um, it's difficult on a community, it's difficult on families, um, it just doesn't affect the person who died by suicide. Um, it, it affects a whole lot of other people. Um, it's kind of like that ripple effect. It, you throw a you know, pebble in the lake um, and the ripple effect that it makes mm-hmm. is, is very similar to that situation. Yeah, and I think, because uh, y'all, y'all offer help and services, and correct me if I'm wrong, but t- like you said, the ripple effect, it's not just the person experiencing right. suicide. It's everybody that might be affected by that, and y'all can help and kind mm-hmm. um, of help, offer help with that. And I kind of want to go back to something you were just saying a second ago is um, there's this, a saying that I've always heard and I actually like it, but it's okay to not be okay. That's right. And we're trying to like, I mean, I guess sometimes people put almost like a stigma on suicide and stuff and it's, let's, let's, we need to break that. And I think that's what's good about this podcast and talking about it is it's, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to talk about things. It's okay to sit here and be like, you know, I'm a, I was affected by a family member or or somebody else. Like, what can I do to go forward? Like, and so I just kind of wanted to add that point in there that hopefully this, this reaches out and we can kind of, get down to it and because we're all you know walking through this life together so Absolutely. I was also going to note that I think something that we hear often and I know I experienced early on in my career as a social work was I don't want to say the wrong thing right and so I think a lot of us get afraid and, and I've heard people say this well I'm not a social worker or I'm not a this or I'm not a that or I'm not a trained clinician it's like no, you know, and I'm sure Bethy can speak to this, that so many times, because it is so scary when you're, when you're hearing those words from a loved one or from a friend or a colleague, um, as far as feeling suicidal and having those thoughts, it's, it can be overwhelming because you're so afraid of saying the wrong thing. What if I mess this up or mm-hmm. I cause something or they do something because of what I said? And and so I think that's the part of this that's so important too is just giving people the tools um, to trust their instincts, you know, mm-hmm. when, when talking about suicide openly, um, trusting your instincts as a person, being present, and, and that concern of am I going to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing? You know, I think that response is a big, a big part of what we get scared about. You know, we want to help, but we're not sure how, right. What do I say? How do I help? Right. And how should they respond or, or what's the best type of, 
advice to give someone that is finding out that their loved one, you know, may be suicidal? And so what's something that maybe someone usually does that they probably shouldn't? And how could they help that person? So I think the first thing is if somebody is um, telling you that they're feeling suicidal is um, to not shame or blame um, and being careful just, you know, to um, not try to placate or talk them out of that kind of thing. Because in that moment, um, the person is, you know, feeling very much like suicide is an answer for them. Um, And so you want to just, you know, the most important thing you can do is listen and provide empathy and support and say, I'm going to stay with you because you're important to me. You matter. And so I'm going to stay here as long as I need to. Um, and then remember not to try to fix it, right? So we're not going to try to come up with reasons why they shouldn't um, try to kill themselves. Um, that is part of a process when you are doing safety planning, like to ask about reasons for living. And so that can be helpful to kind of remind people that they really are some things that are important to them in their lives that they wouldn't want to be without. But, you know, I think people think all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I got to fix this. I got to make this right. I got to get them to stop talking about this, and which is what we really want them to do, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, instead, just be willing to listen and, and to their conversation and their concerns and worries. And um, that just goes so far. You know, I mean, I, I can't tell you how meaningful that is to people. Um, it's kind of like if I, um, you know, passed you in the hallway and I said, um, hey, how you doing today? Maybe I don't really want to know that, that, you know, answer. But when you're talking to somebody about suicide and you say, are you thinking about killing yourself or do you wish you could go to sleep and never wake up? I'm going to make eye contact with you. And then I might ask you again a little bit later in the conversation just to be sure that you understand that I really want to know the answer to that question. Right. And if that's the case, then you know what to do in order to seek services for people and call people like MCOT who can come out and do an assessment and talk with that person and work with that person. Um, so you don't want to leave them alone. You want to listen. You want to support And then you want to help get them to the best resources possible because um, it's not your job to fix what's going on with that person. And I think you said it great. Uh, You said the word empathy. Yes. Um, And that's that's really good, kind of empathy versus sympathy. It's like you're not feeling sorry for them. You're just being empathetic to what they're telling you. And I think that's very, very important. A lot of people, you know, might not understand that concept, but, you know, you're just – you're understanding and you're listening to what they're saying and you're not actually going to where they are, but you can see how someone might feel that way. You're right. just being empathetic towards what they're saying. So I thought that was very... I've never heard anybody, when somebody's asked about suicide, say, you know, I've never thought about that before. I think I'll do that. You know, right. that's never happened as far as I ever know. Right. And so I think we are afraid to ask because we're afraid that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But people want you to ask because if you ask, then you care. And so that's really important. Absolutely. How often do you guys see that loved one who had been affected by by suicide in their family or friends, and then they start blaming themselves? Or you hear the "I had no idea." They they always seem so happy, or or you know they they had a good life. Why why would they do that? Or something along those lines. How often do you see that happen in your work? I would be surprised if it went one hundred percent of the time. Really? Yeah. That's so hard because, you know, it's always those people that you don't realize maybe that, that would. So how, how, does that, how does that change or, or how, how do we help those people maybe come forward and ask for help? Before it gets to that Before point. Before it gets mean? to that point, yeah. 
I think also you know, we're talking about removing the stigma. So first of all, that has to be a part of it because I think that survivors of um, loved ones who have died by suicide um, are just feel so isolated and alone. And so we need to let them know that there is help out there and it's available and it's okay to be angry, sad, mad, you know, all of the things. Um, but, you know, and it's important to talk about that grief happens in suicide like it does in a natural death. And so um, that's just a very important process that we go through as human beings and being able to do that uh, grieving process. And so, again, having an open door, providing a safe space for people to say whatever they need to say or do in a way that, of course, doesn't harm themselves or somebody else, but um, to be able to talk about how angry they are or how sad they are or whatever the case may be. And, um, and just provide that safe space and not judge that. Do you feel like that more people are willing to come forward when they feel like they have, you know, a, a mental health crisis or, or some type of, of, you know, mental health issue that, that they want to, that they want to try and fix? Or do you feel like it's still too hard for people to come forward? I think a lot of it just depends, uh, you know, a really big part is knowing the resources. Mm -hmm. There's so many times that somebody may call something in, whether it's to 911, you know, whether they're calling the police or calling um, churches or loved ones, you know, we definitely, there's no wrong door, right? If somebody is um, having suicidal thoughts and a plan to harm themselves, we definitely want them to reach out to whomever they, they trust. Um, but I think the resources that are available um, that's constantly what we want to pump into the public and make sure that our community is aware of because oftentimes they don't know that we exist until they go into crisis. And so the educational piece is huge because I think the more that they're seeing, whether that's the 988 number like, like Bethy was talking about or our crisis number or learning about services, um, I think that helps to kind of normalize mental health you know and yeah. and receiving mental health care and I think that that makes individuals more apt to seek it you know because they're seeing it they may have neighbors or friends that have received these services and so a lot of times it's a referral source you know yeah. where they'll say well I know that um, my neighbor went to crisis treatment center and really benefited from the service and I think I need it too and so I think that helps normalize it, too, when they've heard of it, when they see it, you know, in front of them. You know, it's hard to reach out for help sometimes when you may be experiencing just massive, massive amounts of anxiety or depression, and you feel so alone and isolated, like Bethy was talking about, and then you don't know that the resources are available. It You feel that much more hopeless because, it's like, well, I feel this way, and what are my options? So. Yeah making sure that people know, like, here's some resources. And even if you don't know about it, who is in, in what Bethy was talking about and safety planning, who is your one trusted friend? And I, and I think that's a really important, that source, whether that's your school, whether that's your church, whether that's your neighbor, whomever, or a family member, have a person that you trust in the back of your mind. You know, keep that in mind um, because we have those trusted sources, be it family, church, community schools um keep that in the back of your mind because at some point you know they'll be available to you when you need them Absolutely. and it's pretty great honestly to um i have to 
for therapy to go and talk to somebody who doesn't have an emotional connection to you. And you can really hear an unbiased opinion about kind of how you're doing and what you're thinking and feeling and help you to normalize things and let you know that you're not, you know, um, you know, that, that there's not something significantly long, wrong with you because you're having these thoughts and feelings. And so um, I recommend therapy to everybody. Yeah, so. yeah, I think that's one thing that, you know, some people, oh, I don't want to go to therapy. There's there's a weird, you know, connotation to, to having a therapist or going to therapy, but it's very therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, right. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything bad if you want to just go and talk to someone who is you know, trained to maybe help in, in certain ways to, you know, to get you on a better path. And so I think if people want to go to therapy, go to therapy. Yeah. I think that's great. Absolutely. Just being a human is hard. That's yeah. the, it is I mean, hard. Yes. So when we talk about crisis and trauma, it's not these people out here that go into crisis or those people over there that experience trauma. It's part of the human condition and existing in this world because life gets hard and we have really hard seasons and hard stuff happens. And mm-hmm. so, and I do think too, even on the therapy end, which I'm, I'm great. You were talking, I'm grateful you were talking about is that I think now you have so many programs online on the phone. So which speaks to a lot of people where they feel very comfortable using their phones. And so they may even not want to come into an office, but that's kind of in this age that we're living in, all these digital mediums and ways to do things that I think there are all these therapy platforms online there to are. where, and I don't want to speak to any of them because I don't want to advertise <laughs> any of these. Um, but I can say, and I think when we have people in the public eye too, like Phelps and other people that are coming up and saying, Hey, I needed this therapy mm-hmm. and I went and did this. I think it's becoming more easy, more convenient, more commonplace mm-hmm. to connect in that arena. So I think we're seeing more of that kind of normalizing yeah, and saying, sure. hey, I'm human. I need this because I'm human. Yeah, <laughs> and I think it goes back to the line of just breaking that stigma. Yes. You know, it all kind of comes down to that. And, you know, talking about crisis, you know, there's no set list of, well, this is a crisis. This is it. We are all Absolutely. different. We all have our own, like, you know, th- to me, this is a crisis. To you, that's a crisis. We all have our own right. list of what we feel a crisis is. And that's what we need to understand. And yeah. even when someone's reaching out to you, you might not understand that to you, it may not be a crisis or whatnot, but right. to them, this this is. And they are being vulnerable to open yes. up to you about that. Yes. Um, so that's one thing is like, hey, you know, if you know you're, you have something, you're like, well, it, I think it's a crisis, but it doesn't seem like it fits this list. There is no list. Right. If you feel it is mm-hmm. to you, then, hey, we've got resources that can come out and there's someone that can kind of help you work work through it. So that's Absolutely. Yeah. When someone does come to you wanting help, what are those first regarding regarding suicide what are those first steps that you would help that person to you know feel feel more comfortable and so it all starts with the relationship right and so you take some time to get to know a person a little bit and and a little bit about them so that you can make that connection that's the most important thing Um, if that doesn't happen then it's really hard to work going forward and so we all, I mean, we don't walk in the door and say, for instance, hey, it's MCOT, I hear you're suicidal, what can we do to help you? You know, MCOT's going to go in with, with a lot of empathy and wanting to listen and hear about what's going on. The same thing in therapy, too. People are going to come, what brings you here? Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? You know, those kinds of things. It's not something that you can rush, and developing that relationship just becomes so important. Um, and, you know, we have found before that there's folks that, 
just met like myself individually, hasn't been able to make that connection with for whatever reason. Not about them, not about me. It just didn't work. Um, so then I'll pass off to another person and say, hey, why don't you give this a, give this a try and see if you can um, make that connection so that people can um, move forward with this discussion that we need to have. Are you guys ever out in the field and someone experiencing a crisis, more of a crisis situation, who has those suicidal thoughts? Do you guys ever go out in the field and, and help those individuals? Absolutely. I mean, with the mobile, like Bethy was saying, with the mobile crisis outreach team, that those those are the calls we're getting. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some of them, like I said earlier, they may be in the community or they may end up at the ER. You know, because they need a safe place to be while they work through it. Um, some of those individuals um, go to our crisis treatment center as well, and um, so yeah, and and it's going to look a little bit different when they're going into therapy and they're you know having that time to build the relationship versus that crisis piece because our very first thing we go out in that relationship building is the immediate safety. So we always want to make sure they're safe and that. Um, their family's safe as well, so we always look for that first, you know, that um, their surroundings are safe and make sure um, we know exactly what's going on. And like Bethy said, but it all starts with the question of what's going on today, you know, which is a really big question because I think we assume that everybody gets asked that on a daily basis, but so many people, especially in today's day and age, um, everybody's going so quickly we're bypassing each other, yeah. that just those simple things of what's going on, or you don't seem quite like yourself. Is there is there anything going on? Um, a lot of times they may have not been asked that for days, weeks, months, and you might be the first person that's actually, like Bethy was saying, looking him in the eye and just asking, mm-hmm. you know. And a simple, I mean, not a simple question, but a question like that can really just, I mean, it'll, it could break them down. Somebody feels seen. Because they finally, yeah. exactly, feel yes. seen and heard and, oh, someone wants to listen to me. Yeah, okay. you know I exist yeah. here in the world and mm-hmm. I, you stop to talk to me that I matter enough. Because yeah. so. we have so much, you know, social media, you know, technology, you know, platforms and all like that, that a lot of times we we lose that human connection. And sometimes it might just be what someone's looking for. And they may right. not actually reach out and, and say it, but, you know, just kind of being like, you know, kind of going back to what we talked to, just looking them in the eye and, you know, how are you doing today? Or um, Can I, I interject too? Yeah. Yeah. We also, you know, we also look for the re- least restrictive environments. So the other thing that happens and that we see a lot of times is that individuals are scared to talk because you're going to throw me in the hospital. You're going to lock me up. So we hear a lot of that. Yeah. And so a lot of what we have to do is debunk that stigma as well because yeah. when yes. we look at movies and cinema and what people see in movies, it's like, no, that's not how it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, it makes for a really great movie. Um but that's not real life because really um, we're looking at the least restrictive environment always first. Um, We want to just talk with you. We want to just reach out and try to alleviate whatever that burden is that you're carrying. While we can't take that burden from you, we can be present with you in that state and work through it that way. Absolutely. And, And we always want to focus on individual care. So we're listening to you. What do you want? Do you, do you want X, Y, and Z? Do you think these things would be helpful? Or what if things that you've tried in the past that have been helpful? Because what we are, 
we're the greatest historians of our own lives. We, we know what we need oftentimes. Sometimes not. We need people to bounce things off of. But oftentimes just saying, hey, what's worked for you in the past? What do you want right now? Just asking somebody what they want, right? Right. And not throwing a bunch of stuff at them, but saying, hey, because human beings, and you see it in little kids, they're resilient. Yep. They're smart. Um, so just looking at what's lo- what's worked in the past and how do we get you reconnected to those natural supports, you know, a lot of times goes a long way, mm-hmm. you know. And so, like I said, just asking somebody what they want for their own life because we'll get calls and people say, well, my so-and-so wants me to do this or so-and-so wants me to do this, but nobody's asked them what they wanted to do. So that just helped to just give them control. You know, it's like you're you're guiding it, but you still have that control, which sometimes people need that. They don't want to lose that. Absolutely. And if I, if I'm already experiencing suicidal thoughts, plans and tension or any other kind of crisis, I'm not, I'm not going to feel the control. Mm -hmm. Maybe I did a while back, and so we're looking, we're grasping for whatever that's any of us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it is it is heartbreaking when anyone dies by suicide, and when it's kids, that is something that is so hard for, for parents. When I was a reporter, I actually did a story about a woman who her son uh, died by suicide when... He was 13 years old because he was being bullied. And listening to her story just makes me cry every time I think about it. But it really, really hits you to the core and just shows you how people are affected by suicide, whether they know someone or someone who's just learning about a story for the first time. And gosh, advice for those parents. And I think sometimes those deaths for parents in, at, at, any, at any age really is so hard for, to, to watch their kid have to go through that. And a lot of times, too, is their kids, you don't, you don't think they have that capacity, right? And so how, what, what would be your advice to parents? I think um, it's really important to recognize when your child's doing or acting differently than maybe they had previously. And so you need to really be aware of kind of your child's activities and how they respond to their environment and things like that. And so if you find somebody who may be sleeping more or uh, maybe starting to give away things or you watch on social media, I think parents should so much oversee social media uh, because a lot of things happen there that seem um, really hard for especially adolescents. Um, to deal with when when people are saying things about them that are negative and things like that. So I think know your child and know kind of what their rhythm is um, as much as possible. And then not again, not being able to afraid to ask questions, you know, to to say, I mean, I know with my kids growing up, the only way I could really have a conversation with them is if I put them in the car with me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had yeah. this captive audience then, and I could say things. And then I learned not to say, uh, ask questions that were yes, no questions. I asked questions that required some sort of an explanation. Um, and so in saying, instead of saying, did you have a good day today? I would say, tell me one good thing about your day and one bad thing about your day or one thing you wish you could change okay. and try to have those kinds of open conversations and not be afraid to have them. 
Um, and not to be angry and upset and blame. And you have, we have given you everything. Why are you still, you know, feeling so sad? I don't understand this, you know, kind of thing. Um, which I think is typical, you know, for any parent to, to feel or um, experience. And so um, lines of communication just from early on need to really be strong, be aware of your child's, um, you know, difference in patterns of behavior um, and then not being afraid to ask questions. And I think something along with that, we, we're talking about parents as well, but even friends. Friends Absolutely. might know this because you might be friends with them on social media. Or, right. You know, uh, see, seeing these type of patterns and stuff change and, and understanding that, you know, that friends need to, you know, tell a parent, hey, you know, something, mm-hmm. so-and-so's getting picked on or so-and-so this right. or so-and-so that, but, uh, you know, stepping up and, and actually saying something that they're seeing as, as well. Because as, as a parent, you know, I mean, I know with me, I didn't, share everything with my parents right. but I mainly shared it with my friends and stuff like that so you know as we kind of again we're stumbling through this together so holding each other accountable and if you see something you know tell tell your tell your parent you know let you know that parent if your kid tells you something make sure you relay it to their parent because they might not see these things exactly so yeah she has a Facebook page it's called kindness matters so just anyone looking for support in any way. I mean, she's a wonderful woman. And um, she actually went when when he passed, uh, she donated all of his organs. So and unfortunately, kids don't realize that there's so much life ahead, right? And that what's happening in this moment, while it's terrible, and it feels terrible. um, This is just a moment in time, and this is going to pass and then other good things are on the horizon. Um, And so, you know, that finality of somebody so young, I think, really makes it even that much more challenging, um, especially for family members, friends, um, and so forth, because it just seems like such a waste, right? So, um, but it's very real for that person in that moment. So helping with some of that forward thinking, like, this is today, but what about six months from now? You know, what about two years from now? What about when you're grown? you know, kind of thing, um, because it just seems like this is it right here, right now. And yeah. sometimes I think, too, you know, it's like maybe maybe it's not final. I don't really mean for it to be final, you know, but then it is final. And so um, that makes it hard. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you guys, you know, want to touch on so far that we haven't talked about? I know you guys had your notes that you brought in, but I just want to make sure that we we get to – you know, what was on the forefront of of your minds, but just to make sure. No, I think all of this is great. And I think, I think it's great being able to give out the phone numbers and to have people actually talking about this and saying that this is an important topic and here it is. And I I think just even that is huge. We got to break that stigma. So absolutely. And I know, um, I actually want to touch on the relationship you guys have with our social worker here at the police department, D'Angela. I know you guys hear a lot about her on this podcast Mm -hmm. because she she really does so much. Um, But how has how has working with her, having a social worker here at the department helped you guys in your work or reach out to those individuals that maybe call us, but then don't reach out to you after? Or we might help. We might tell them about BHN or we might start that, but they don't continue that continue down that road. Absolutely. I mean, I can say that definitely having a social worker on the force and doing what she's doing, um, she provides such great soft handoffs, you know, and she's been, 
really great at being able to, you know, from our end, you know, working in social services, we speak a, a certain language, right? And so working with the police department, there's another language. And so sometimes discerning one another, even even though we're out trying to do the same things, right? We're trying to help and grow our community um, and make it a healthy place. Um, sometimes the vernacular we use and the way we go about it may look different. And so I think she serves to kind of bridge that gap yeah. because I know I'm able to ask questions um, to her, you know, and pose questions like, what about this? And she's like, oh, the reason that an officer may respond this way is because of this or that. Yeah, we speak a different language, yeah, so for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. you're absolutely right. We have a different code, and <laughs> not code. It's just it's sometimes just different language that we don't even. Right. We honestly probably don't even realize no. that we're doing it. And and you know, and I think that that goes into each organization, each different sect yeah. of work within a community. And so I think bridging those gaps and being able to understand one another's language and limitations absolutely. is is been super beneficial. And also that soft handoff, you know, because she's able to say, okay, here's where um, police have intervened, and then here's this person with MCOT, or here's the counseling center, you know. And so I think that soft handoff into social services is really great because it helps, I think, individuals in crisis to feel that they're walked through a process as opposed to having to just figure it out or just pass it off to the next person. And I think we are very diligent about not handling things in that matter, right? right? Because these are human beings. And so we want to handle each person with care and compassion and not just pass them off, but to ease them into yeah. the resources, right? Absolutely. So um, I think I think that's been a really big asset. Great. So helping not have people fall through the cracks that maybe normally would have because there hadn't been communication maybe for whatever reason between the two. And then also understanding on both sides of what, if, what we're all trying to accomplish here with the individuals. So I think that's really helpful. Are there any upcoming, you know, events or anything at all that, that BHN is, is working on or doing that the public can can go to or resources, anything like that? So September is suicide, uh, National Suicide Awareness Month, and so we have a wealth of activities that go on during that month. Um, also, we're doing a training for that is really great for community folks called Ask. So Ask about suicide to save a life, and so it's just those basic skills about how if you're if you're with somebody who is suicidal, here's what you do. So it's a step by step thing that kind of helps people. Um, become more comfortable in asking that question and also give some of the reasonings and some of the, you know, strengths and, and um, maybe the things that are, are detrimental for people to be aware of those and to be able to ask questions and then get them to the proper resources, um, which is really great. And so that's a, that's a training that we offer to the community um, to maybe organizations or um, churches or places that might be interested in having that because we would like for everybody in lawyers' offices, doctors' offices, anywhere people go to um, have that training to be able to ask mm-hmm. the question because you're, um, you're most likely to succeed if you have a person who knows how to ask that question at the moment. It's kind of like CPR. Mm-hmm. Your, your chance of success is highest when you have somebody who is trained in CPR 
to help you if you're having a heart attack or something else is happening. It's not when you get to the hospital. Right. It's before you get to the hospital. So that's that, that's the idea behind ASK as well. Is that an online training, in-person training? It's an in-person training. It's an in-person uh-huh. training. Yeah. Is that so? Is that a web? Your website was that where they would find the resources to um, go to? They that? could just contact. Yeah, just contact, contact the department and and um, they'll get them in touch with the right people um, in order to make that training available to folks. Absolutely, that's so, wonderful. Yeah. That kind of it sounds like it could go. I'm going to change the last question up a last question up. But what is something that you guys hope for or wish for in the future regarding? suicide awareness and, and prevention? So I, I'm with y'all. Let's remove the stigma mm-hmm. and let's, let's start having open, honest conversations about suicide. Um, it starts with changing our language and how we talk about it um, and being able to you know, acknowledge that suicide does happen um, and that we that we can prevent that by asking the question um, to whoever the person is that we're with um, and for people to just um, be excited about, uh, you know, having some knowledge that they can use to help another individual. So. Mm-hmm. I'm with Bethy on that. I, you know, I, I think that that's, that goes for all of us. You know, we want to see our community as healthy as possible. We want to see our families as healthy as possible, and I think – um, the fear part, the fear of, uh, I know that was really big for me, you know, years ago when I started, um, the fear of saying the wrong thing, the fear of, of making a situation worse. And so I think that, that brings me joy to know that, that you can get, even if you feel that way now, that you're afraid and you don't know what to say or how to say it, or you're afraid of messing up, um, that they're, there are trainings, there are skills, and just simply being open and honest and compassionate goes a long way. And so ultimately, that's a big piece that I'd like to see, too, is that fear to dissipate in people and for them to, like like Bethy was saying, talking about it like peanut butter and jelly, mm-hmm. just being able to ask straight up. And I, I think as we start to see our community gain that strength in asking those questions, asking the hard questions. I think it'll empower future generations because when parents or loved ones ask these questions, children are watching, they're hearing that, and hopefully that goes through generation to generation to generation. Right, right. Well, instead of just tiptoeing around the question or tiptoeing around, well, I don't really want to come out right and ask you, but can you give me some hints as far as, you know, and then the the two are kind of playing a game and it doesn't really go anywhere. And you kind of walk away with more questions and, and maybe that person, oh, you know, they really, they didn't really ask me or they didn't, they didn't ask the right thing. So they, you know, Maybe they care about me, but I don't think they, they do because they it didn't seem like they did. But but just coming out and asking, I guess that's that's just which is really important. Makes it even more important to ask that question directly. Yes. Like you don't want to beat around the bush and say, um, I need to ask you something kind of hard, but I'm not really sure how. To. Instead, just say, Do you have thoughts of killing yourself? Um, do you want to go to sleep and never wake up? And being very direct with those mm-hmm. kinds of statements and then by all means if you're in a situation and you don't feel like you can ask the question for whatever reason find somebody who can 
Um, And you always have to trust your gut instinct, right? So if you're thinking, should I or should I not ask this question, you probably should because you wouldn't have thought of it if you didn't think there was a reason to ask it. And so just follow your gut instincts. And like I said, and if you don't feel like you can ask, um, then just find somebody who can ask that question for you. And no harm, no foul. This is a no-blame culture that we want to develop here. We don't want people feeling bad because they didn't maybe say the right thing or do the right thing because this is not something that we have that kind of control over. And so we want people to know that just whatever you do um, is going to be helpful, and especially when you can ask that question or get somebody to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both very much for, for joining us on this podcast today. Uh, one, one just quick thing before we wrap it up, 988 is is a phone number that you guys can call um when you when you are in a situation of course 911 when you're in that immediate crisis right um and then i'll let you guys give that bhn phone number one more time as well yes that's our 24-hour crisis line it's 1-866-752-3451 wonderful and then i want to add something to that um what's the number they can call because i think uh, that ASH training that y'all are talking about would be very important. Uh, what's the number mm-hmm. um, you said that they can call to kind of maybe if they want to get more information on that? Would it be the same number or is it a different number? It's 254-752-3451. Well, thank you, Stacey, and thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us here on Waco PD on the Beat. I'm Sarah Shipley, the Public Information Officer. And I'm Janae Draper with the Neighborhood Engagement Team. And we hope you have a great day, Waco. Thank Bye, you. Bye, Waco. Waco PD on the beat, the heartbeat serving 